the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome. I know we had a blurb there. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, church questions, anything that's going on in your life. All you need to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the streets are a little bit wet and it's really windy and cold out there, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Is this weather crazy or not? I was sharing with some of the guys today, this winter, it has been the coldest winter, but it has been the winter with the most ups and downs. And by ups and downs, I mean the, the most immediate, you know, two days of 75 and then two or three days of 30. And how... Uh, it's supposed to be spring. It's supposed to be spring. I'm crying. Hey, a couple of reminders, and then we'll get started with our program today. Uh, remember, when you go to bed Saturday night to turn your clocks forward, which means we lose an hour of sleep, so try to get to bed just a little bit earlier than normal. Uh, here at Calvary Chapel, we will be having, as we do every time we turn our clock back in the fall or forward in the spring, uh, we have a pancake breakfast. Just help people that don't make the time adjustments. They get here earlier. They get here late. Uh, for our first two services, we will be serving uh, pancakes and sausage. And I'm told there's plenty of hot coffee going to be out there. So um, you're welcome to join us for that. Uh, and I'm going to be teaching, of course, out of uh, the Gospel of Mark. And then tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be teaching in... Uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 17. I'm going to try to finish the chapter beginning in verse 7. It's a difficult passage of Scripture, uh, but at least for me it's interesting. I don't know if anybody else is interested in this stuff, but but I am. So we would love to have you um, join us for any of those things that you are able to do it. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in. Uh, the first one is anonymous from our mobile app. Joyce Myers says that Jesus went to hell and was tormented. How do I convince a friend that is wrong and she is a false prophet teacher? Um, Anonymous, I'm not so sure you can convince anybody if they want to believe. The truth is that she is a false teacher, has been pointed out as a false teacher. And all I would suggest that you do is first uh, tell your friend um, not to pay attention to a single thing she says. Not a single thing that she says. 
she is not only a false prophet, she leads so many astray. There's a, a kind of a spirit of rebellion in her teaching. It's traditional um, uh, prosperity, health and wealth type gospel message. She's just really, really um, a horrible, horrible Bible teacher. Uh, and it, it amazes me why she is a following at all. You know, we always want to rescue people, Anonymous. Um, but, you know, the truth is they've got a Bible. If they're a believer, then they've got a Holy Spirit in them. So the ability to discern the problem with people like Joyce Meyer is they tell people what they want to hear. And when people hear what they want to hear, they get their 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 itching ears tickled. When they hear what they want to hear, they're simply not going to to want to listen. They want to believe it. They want to believe in an easy uh, message like that. And uh, the problem is, of course, it's false hope. So pray for your friend. That's really all you can do. You tell her, don't get involved in an argument uh, with her or with... I'm assuming it's her because Joyce Meyer uh, is almost exclusively uh, appealing to women. Um, the, 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 the doctrine about her going, about Jesus going to hell to be tormented and emerging as the first born-again Christian uh, is absolute nonsense. It's heresy, uh, but it is traditional prosperity gospel junk. And uh, I would just ask you to avoid it. You know it's wrong. Uh, all you can do is tell her, look, I'm really concerned for you. This is contrary to what the Bible teaches. And uh, you need to protect yourself. And then the responsibility is going to be hers. I wish there was more. I wish we could convince them. But, you know, people won't be reasonable. And if, they not, uh, if they're not familiar enough with the Bible to point out what she's saying that is wrong, um, I, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know what else to tell you. She is a um, one of many who travels in those uh, groups, and, and it's just a horrible, horrible Bible teaching. Here is our next question. This one is from Carlos. Um, Pastor Ron, can you clarify what happens to us when we die? I understand that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but will we be with him in heaven or some were temporary until the final judgment. What is the purpose of the resurrection of the dead if we're already with him? Um, Carlos, the, the, the resurrection of the dead is simple. Uh, uh, when, when we're with Jesus, uh, we, we're, we're resurrected. Now, th- there's two schools of thought. I'll tell you which one I ascribe to. But uh, two schools of thought. One says that when we die, um, our spirit which is the real us. Our spirit inhabits these old bodies. And the, the, that line of thought is our spirit goes to be with Jesus and will later be reunited with our physical bodies. Of course, the physical body will be glorified uh, be like his, his physically resurrected body. Um, but, but they say we don't get that body until the very end. Um, the graves will be opened and our bodies will be caught up in the air uh, and and we will be changed. I don't believe that's the case, Carlos. I believe that the moment we're removed from this body, you know, when we when we lay dying, uh, at that last moment, an angel is sent to us. And the angel simply um, uh, extends a hand. And I'm speaking figuratively because we don't even know if the angel has a hand. But basically invites us to come out of the body and then he instantly, immediately carries us into the presence, into the presence of the Lord. So, I believe that we get that physically glorified, resurrected body at that very moment when we're in the air. Uh, when the rapture happens, Carlos, it will be the same. We will be caught up in the air with him. And our bodies will be transformed. First Corinthians chapter 15. So um, um, we're going to get our glorified, resurrected physical bodies. Excuse me, this weather's got my voice all messed up right now. Uh, but we're going to get our new bodies, uh, I think, instantly. And we will be with the Lord. So that's what happens. Uh, the resurrection of the dead. The, the, the first resurrection is when we die. The second resurrection is when the unrighteous dead are raised to life. 
and then they will be carried to the great white throne judgment, and they will be separated from God for eternity from that point forward. So, Carlos, as simply as I can put it, when we die, and this is one of the reasons I love uh, open casket funerals, uh, the old us is no longer, uh, well, the body's in the, the box, the real us, the spirit in us, is not there. And when you look at somebody who's died, and again, I know we're very superstitious about death, but when we look and we see, when we look and we see um, somebody in that box, we know that's not them. You know, the body looks like them, the body's made up, but we can tell there's no life. And when I'm doing a funeral, I love to be able to say, we, we know that's not him or that's not her. Because they're in the presence of Jesus in an instant, Carlos. And so that's what happens when we die. I hope that helps. And that's instant, by the way, Carlos. When we die, we instantly go in the presence of the Lord. There's no holding pattern. There's no transitional phase. We're, we're with the Lord, which Peter calls uh, receiving the goal of our salvation. Good question. Thank you, Carlos. Here's a question anonymously again from our mobile app. This one is from Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And the question is, is the rapture after the great tribulation? Thank you. Now I'm going to read 12.1, Daniel 12.1, um, uh, try to figure out why the question was asked using this verse. It says, at that time, Michael, the great prince, who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book of life, will be delivered. Now, we have to understand a couple of things. The idea that your people and, and our name written in the book of life, uh, somebody might conclude, well, that includes Christians. But we have to remember, Daniel knew nothing of the church. So this is Daniel's prophecy is all and only about Israel. And at that time, uh, God is going to preserve two-thirds, or I'm sorry, one-third of the Jews, uh, two-thirds, uh, and I'm talking about people who are alive at the time of Jesus' return. Uh, they're going to be preserved for the return of the Lord. And God, of course, who knows everything, he lives outside of time and space, he's going to uh, know whose names are written in the book of life, and they are going to be preserved through the Great Tribulation. Now, Zechariah says it's one-third who are going to believe. When Jesus returns, one-third of the Jews' lives are going to believe. That means necessarily that two-thirds are going to perish. And that's hard for us because it just seems like, well, why wouldn't they believe? But remember, Jesus um, um, said there's a narrow way and few, and, and few find it. And then there's a broad road that leads to destruction. And it is a busy road or a well-traveled road. So um, the idea here is that um, the Jews, that one-third who are going to believe and going to proclaim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, their Messiah, the Christ they've been waiting for, they're going to um, be protected uh, during the Great Tribulation, and they will be delivered um, into the millennial reign of Christ uh, where Jesus will rule and reign from the throne of David. Now, let me answer the question from a different perspective. Uh, is the rapture after the Great Tribulation? No, the rapture is going to happen just prior to the Great Tribulation starting. Now, we don't know if it's going to be instantly or uh, the rapture is going to happen. Uh, then there's going to be covenant signed. The covenant between the Antichrist and Israel is going to be signed. And we don't know if that'll be something that'll happen instantly or it'll take just a little bit of time. But the rapture really is going to kick off the Great Tribulation. So the rapture, remember, is God delivering his people from the time of judgment. Now, the reason it's going to happen before the Great Tribulation is because the Great Tribulation is the wrath of God, well, we know God can't pour out his wrath on his people. Our sin has already been judged and forgiven. Jesus took the judgment. Jesus took the wrath of God. He was a substitute in our place. So a just God cannot punish or 
pour out his wrath on people whose sins have already been judged. God's wrath is reserved for a Christ-rejecting world, and that's what the entire seven-year period of time called the Great Tribulation is. It's God demonstrating his impatience with, he is done with sin. Well, you and I, in Christ, are done with sin, so we necessarily cannot be here during the Great Tribulation. So, Anonymous, the rapture is going to be after the Great Tribulation, um, uh, pre-trib, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. I was reading your question. The rapture is going to be before the Great Tribulation, not after the Great Tribulation. Uh, That's why we're called pre-tribulation believers. We believe that the rapture will happen before the Great Tribulation is unleashed on the world. Thank you very, very much. I was just told yesterday that uh, our Foundations class uh, is again going to be dealing with the rapture, and they ask me always to come uh, and and share my heart with them and answer all the questions. So uh, on Sunday, March 27th at 5 o'clock, we have uh, uh, a, a foundations class and they're going to be dealing with the rapture and I'm going to be there and answer any questions. So um, I hope uh, if anybody wants to come, you're more than welcome. It's a small class and I really like it because it's just one more question can be asked and those kind of things. Good question. Here's Kaylee from our email inbox. Uh, she says, I'm currently discipling someone who was once far in with her faith and now is uninterested and has no motivation to be with Jesus or spend time in the world. My heart is breaking because I want her to always be with him and not just running to him when she needs something. What can we do for someone whose heart isn't interested in Jesus at the moment? Now, Katie, without judging her heart, obviously I don't know you and I don't know uh, who, who, um, um, who you're talking about. Um, but but I always assume that people like this aren't saved. Anybody that only runs to Jesus when she needs him, um, that's not somebody who's who's able to say, uh, Lord Jesus. She can say Jesus, and and you know the Holy Spirit's working on her. She she knows to run to him in trouble, but you can't call him Lord. And if you don't call him Lord and mean it, then you really don't belong to him. Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey me. So I love your heart for your friend. Uh, I think what you can do, the only thing you can do is tell her exactly the same way that you you, you um, uh, alliterated it to me. And just tell her, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you. You're uninterested. Uh, Jesus is coming back and you're going to be left behind. Challenger. Uh, might risk a friendship but her eternal destination is worth risking a friendship. And so all you can do is two things. Demonstrate your joy in the Lord. Talk to her boldly. Not, not, not in a confrontation way, but just, just, I love you. I'm concerned about you. And then third, of course, and this is the most important thing you can do, is pray for her. And that's okay. And, you know, Kaylee, you've just described with your friend, you've just described, um, I think, the majority of people who define themselves as Christians. We run to Jesus in a time of need because we instinctively know there's nowhere else to go. But sadly, we don't run to him in other times because we're not interested in what he has to say. We know he's going to tell us to walk in holiness. We know he's going to tell us that he's tired of us sinning. We know that he's going to tell us his heart is broken. And it's easier just to give in to sin and not think about it. And that seems to be where your friend is. So all you can do, again, three things. Model your own joy in the Lord. Make sure there's fruit coming from your life that your friend can't miss. Secondly, you've got to be bold enough to talk to her directly, boldly about this. Risking the friendship if necessary. Third, pray. That's really all you can do. And, um, you know, you've just demonstrated the heart of this particular pastor, Kaylee, because it's what I deal with all the time. You know, Kaylee and anybody else in the audience, one of the things that's a really difficult thing for me, we give invitations every every service. Um, if I've got a microphone in my hands, we've we're, we're gonna I'm going to invite people to receive Jesus Christ. 
uh, on Sundays, uh, I will I will add to that uh, an invitation to believers, whatever I feel like the Spirit is speaking about relative to the study or, or, or whatever word of knowledge he might give me. Um, I, I let him know that God is here today. He wants you to come and get right with him. And And there's so many times, almost every time, in fact, when the Spirit of God lets me know that he's speaking to a whole bunch of people. Now, he doesn't give me names or faces or anything. It's nothing strange like that. But he lets me know that his heart is broken. And there's a lot of people who ought to be coming forward. But they don't, and it breaks my heart. If you asked them if they were saved, of course they would say I'm saved. So you're a Christian. You're born again. Well, yeah, I'm here. I go to church. But they don't really understand the relationship that a born-again believer has with his or her Lord. And that relationship is one thing and one thing only. He's in charge. And he's not just for problems. Sometimes it's so infuriating when people say, well, God's not hearing my prayers. Well, you've been walking away from him. You're not interested. Of course he's not hearing your prayers. Your fellowship with God is broken. And God so eagerly wants to restore that fellowship that unfortunately people just won't let him and it breaks his heart and it breaks my heart too. And Kaylee, it obviously breaks your heart as well. So God bless you for that. Pray for your friend. Uh, That's all you can do. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I think in the doctrinal sense it's fortunate, but, but from a human perspective, It's unfortunate that God will not violate our free will. We have to make the choice. If your friend would choose to serve God only if God forced her to do so, well, that wouldn't be love at all. So short of eliminating free will, God does everything he can to get our attention. But sadly, too many of us as believers, Kaylee, we just do what we want to do and don't really even consider God. Mayor Marty says, Does First Peter chapter 4, verse 6 indicate that people who have died can still have the gospel preached to them and get a second chance? No, Marty. Um, th- this is the, the verse where um, Jesus was, preached a victory declaration to the saints that were being held in prison in the days of Noah. So what God was declaring, just as he declared it through Noah at the time of the flood, God is delivering, Jesus delivered a victory declaration. He didn't go to preach a a second chance. He didn't uh, go to preach, uh, okay, I know you blew it, but let's just, I'm a loving God, so I'll give you one more chance. He didn't do it. He went to do two things, to accomplish two things. One is proclaim victory to those who rejected him. Uh, in a human sense, now this is not Jesus' heart, but in a human sense, it's almost say like, hey, I told you. You didn't listen, so this is what you get. But but really, he's everyone who goes into eternity in torment will know they rejected that which Jesus promised them. And in this case, through Noah. So that's the first thing. It's just a victory declaration. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, death, where is thy victory? Uh, and Jesus says, I win in the end. So that's the first thing. The second thing Jesus did is, is, as he descended into the lower parts of the earth was to take the people who are believers throughout history, those who believed God's word by faith and like Abraham were justified by faith, just as if they'd never sinned, uh, those people uh, were able then to be delivered, although they were in a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom, and it was a nice place. Paradise means it's a good place. Um, he took them in his train from the center of the earth and they ascended together into the presence of God the Father. That's the best place, of course. So that's what really, really matters there, Marty. So no, no second chances. Um, the gospel, the good news of victory declaration is preached. I think we're inside just a little over a minute uh, in this half of the program. 
340-9585. We'd love your live calls and questions for the second half of the program. Here is Leticia. She says, a lot of people I care about say they are saved but don't live like it. The idea consumes me because I can't bear to think about them in hell. How can I change them? Leticia, your, the answer for your question is the same. Same as the other question. Uh, we can't make people do anything. Um, challenge people who say they're saved but aren't living like it. Challenge them. Do it nicely. Do it with compassion. But do it anyway. And that's all you can do is then pray for them. You can't change anybody. Again, God's given us free will. And we're the ones that have to make that choice. So instead of being consumed by thinking about them being in hell, be consumed instead with your passion to see that they make it to heaven. And the way we do that is live our lives with the joy of the Lord, but we also share our faith with anybody and everybody who doesn't want to hear it. Pray for my voice. We'll be back on the other side of the break. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program 340-9585 annette i got your message thank you jesus god bless you Thank you, thank you, thank you. We would love your live calls. The phones have been quiet. We've got um, somebody waiting now on line one. Cindy from San Antonio on line one. Cindy, good to hear from you. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I had a wonderful time at the retreat, Hi, by the way. I love it up there, and everything was so, it was just so wonderful. I'm ready for another one, sort of. <laughs> good for, but good you. know you. what, in my, I have the end I have the NIV, the 84, and uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, I am missing verse 11. And I wondered if you were missing that out of yours, too. Now, I know it exists because in my little trusty uh, King James that I've had, you know, the leather bound that they used to make forever ago, I have I have verse 11, and verse 11 says, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. And I don't have that in my, in my NIV. Okay, now, if you look back, um, Cindy, look at the bottom of the page. Does it say on the bottom that um, in some manuscripts this does not appear? Does it? Well, maybe we lost Cindy. Um, in 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 the Alexandrian manuscripts, which is what the NIV, the eighty four NIV, comes from, um, the 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 translators of of a lot of the newer versions leave that out, but there be at the bottom of the page a notice, a notification that says you'll um, have the verse eleven in many manuscripts has, and then they'll have it. But what they, 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 it's not included in the Alexandrian manuscripts, and it was included in the um, um, Texas Receptus and majority texts, and so that's what's happening here. In uh, Matthew 18, the, the NIV goes from verse 10 to verse 12. Again, you can look at them. They're not trying to hide anything. And, and, and in full disclosure, they're saying some um, um, newer or some older manuscripts say or some newer manuscripts say, depending on what they're translating. So they're not trying to put out. They're just, they're just faithfully translating the text that, or the, the set of manuscripts that they have. 
So again, they're not trying to leave anything out. Uh, it's just something when, when I'm teaching that passage, um, Cindy, uh, I'll put it in my text because I want to read it because I know a lot of people are in the King James or New King James, uh, but I'll let them know that uh, in the Alexandrian manuscripts, which some people think are better, more authentic, because they're a little bit older. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that, but um, say some uh, better manuscripts don't include that, and so that's why they leave it out. But it, there's nothing wrong with it. It probably does belong there. It just depends on the manuscript that they're translating. Well, I, I thought maybe it was just a typo. Oh, there you are. It's a really cool. It's a really cool verse. I, li- I like it. Okay, yeah. I was just curious about that. I just happened to run across it the other day. Well, thank you, Cindy. And there's 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 several other instances of that exact thing that, that have, you know because of the same reasons as well. Good question. Here is a question that was sent in uh, anonymously. Also, most of our questions coming in email are anonymous today. Uh, hello, Pastor Ron. Is common law marriage considered marriage in the eyes of the Lord? I'm asking because I know a couple that has been together for over 14 years and they have kids together. If they give their lives over to Jesus, would that be a requirement? Um, Anonymous, if they give their lives over to Jesus, they would want to get to to, to marry. See, that's the thing. No, common law marriage is not a marriage in the eyes of the Lord. That's just two people shacking up and and, uh, obviously they have kids and they're committed to one another. Um, But but no, they've got to do that legally. They've got to, whatever the, the current definition of marriage is and in our country it's to be married in the eyes of the law of the of the law it's to to follow through with the laws it is a public declaration that this is a marriage um, that honors the lord and this is something that's really really common Um, they need to be married of course it's a requirement because jesus said if you love me you will obey me but again here's i think the really important thing if they give their lives over to Jesus, he comes to live in them in the person of the Holy Spirit. And then they would want to do what God says to do. Why would they not want to put their marriage in a place where it could be blessed by the Lord? Now, when we do uh, pre-marriage counseling in cases like this, uh, people come in, they get saved. We find out just in conversation they're living together. We let them know, no, this something's got to be fixed. Uh, your relationship before was out of the will of God. Um, you care about each other. You want to follow the Lord together. So now what we want to do is put your your marriage in a place where it can be blessed. We want to set an example of obedience for your children that you have together. So, um, yes, you can say it is a requirement, but, but it's more than that. It, it's something that they would really want to do. And the, the man or the woman who would say, well, it's no big deal. You know, we're married in the eyes of God. We're committed to each other. What's the bother now? Then that's somebody whose profession of faith isn't genuine. Remember, when we come to Jesus, we can come the way we are. But we have to come to him on his terms. We can't decide that my sin is okay, so I'm not going to fix it. When you come to Jesus, you're asking for forgiveness of sins. And repentance is a change in the way we live. So this couple, God bless them. If they're really close to giving their lives to Jesus, then what you can do is say, come on, let's do this. Let's do this. And the reason um, we do it is just one. It pleases the Lord. Imagine how pleased it would be or how pleasing it would be to Jesus to see these people who have now surrendered their heart to Jesus, to see them want to demonstrate their love for him and their gratitude for what he's done by being obedient. So that's um, the short, you know, we like to find loopholes. Common law marriage is not a loophole that, that God would acknowledge. Good question. Here is a question from Cliff with a K, he says. I'm Cliff with a K. Uh, I'm a planner and it's difficult for me to wait on the Lord. How can I get better? You know, Cliff, I, 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 too, am a planner, uh, always have been. And uh, let me just tell you, I've butted my head against the Lord so many times that I've learned he cares nothing at all about my plans. 
So here's what I had to do. I had to learn to trust him. And your your problem, Cliff, is faith. You know, the Bible says that we without faith it's impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six. It also says that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And people like you and me, Cliff, planners, oh, we would much prefer to walk by sight so it's not dangerous or not risky and we know what to expect. Well, one of the things God is going to do continually in your life, Cliff, is put you in positions where you're completely out of control. So the best way to handle this is simply to be obedient, to surrender. Say, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk with you every day, Jesus. I'm going to learn about who you are. I'm going to learn to trust you. I'm going to let you show off for me. I'm going to let you prove to me that you can be trusted instead of taking matters into my own hands. And Cliff, this is a matter of faith and discipline. This is something you recognize every time you start to rely on your own plans. That's when you take a step back and say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm sorry. I almost did it again. And then say, okay, but I'm going to trust you instead. So you don't have to plan. God sort of laughs at our plans because he wants to prove to us that we can trust only him. Cliff, one other comment I'd have to you, and I see this every time I get a question like this. I would ask you to realistically assess, however you do that, piece of paper, here's what happened when I messed up, or here's what happened when I took matters in a moment, however you can do it. But be honest about your track record when depending on your own plans. And it's going to be laughable. It really is. It's going to be laughable in the sense that you plan this and God didn't let you have it. You plan this and God says, oh, well, I've got another plan. You find yourself in a completely different place. So now is the time for you to learn to embrace God's plans, trusting by faith based on his character, based on his track record, that he's done pretty well by you and done pretty well for you much better than you've ever done for yourself. So just give up, surrender to the Lord, and walk in his will. Nevertheless, thy will, not my will, be done, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Cliff, that's something that we ought to pray every single day, probably with 95% of our prayers. We ought to be able to say some some things we know are completely in God's will. But, But... when you're asking for something, you're making some, uh, petitions and supplication to the Lord, then what you got to do is you got to say, Lord, you know better than I do. This is something that the Lord has been teaching me now for 31 years. And while I think of getting better, there's still things, there's times when I'm praying, Cliff, and I can hear myself pray, and I'm, I'm thinking, wait a minute, Lord, it sounds like I'm giving you counsel. Forgive me, Lord. I, I, Who am I to counsel you? Jesus, your will and not my will be done. And that extends to all kinds of prayers. And it really does make praying a, a lot less burdensome. So, Cliff, I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Let's go to our friend Ruben in Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor. I I know Ruben, that you're doing you? well today. Oh, hello, hello. That, yeah, hello? I got you, Ruben. I can hear you. Okay, okay. I, I I'm I can hear you. Okay. 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 I know that you're doing well because I can hear it in your voice. Praise God. Um, just really <laughs> quick update. Just really quick update. Um. <clears throat> Still in the same position I was the other day when I asked for help for prayer, um, but I'm holding on to God. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm holding on to God. I know Good. that you know I'm not going to allow the enemy to put any pressure on me, anxiety, fear, or anything because I'm not going to do that. I know that He's going to make a way, and, and I believe that He'll. I mean, I know that he could get me a car if he wanted me to or the means to get a car. I know that he could touch somebody's heart to do that or or he could just do it. Um, and as far as my dad, you know, and, and as far as where I'm going to live, the Bible says, you know, if he takes care of the birds of the air and the foxes of the ground, how much more is he going to take care of me? I'm his son. So 
you know, I hold on to it. And, you know, I thank, I thank God first. And I thank God again for you because had it not been for you being on KSLR 10 years ago, uh, and me, me calling, I would not be where I'm at right now. I would not be where I'm at right now. So I want to thank you, sir. I can't wait for the day that I can physically meet you and give you a huge hug because I'm going to do that. <laughs> do that if you don't mind. I'll take I'm gonna, it, Ruben. I'm going give to you, give you a huge hug. But uh, that's what I wanted to say. But I do have a question. I'll, I'll take it, man. Okay. Go ahead. I'm reading in John, you know, I'm still hitting the word, even though I'm going through all this, I'm still hitting the word. And I'm reading in John where, you know, uh, the, the demon possessed were, bring, were brought to, to Jesus. And uh, I, I was hearing this uh, um, podcast uh, and somebody said uh, that oppression and possession are the are the same thing, and, and I disagree. I mean, I, I disagree. Um, I wanted to know, what is the difference between a person being oppressed by, the, by a demon and then possessed by a demon? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ruben. Ruben, so many people are praying for you, for your dad, for your car, for anything and everything, so stand firm. I'm really proud of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Be firm. Um, demon, we're all oppressed by demons. Demons lie, they steal, they want to destroy, uh, and they're doing everything they can to, to, to choke the fruitfulness out of our walk with God. That's just who they are and what they do. Um, um, so, so oppression is something that everybody experiences, but it is completely different from being possessed by a demon, because when you're possessed by a demon, it's the demon that's in control. Now, remember, the Bible says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. It doesn't say greater is he or equal is he to the other he in the world. No, Jesus is Jesus wins. He will not share his space in us with uh, an evil spirit. So being demon-possessed is only for unbelievers being oppressed by demons is a common experience that we all have simply because the devil wants to ensure that there is no fruit coming from our walk with the Lord. So uh, it's likely, Reuben, that you're talking to somebody who is in a uh, an overly charismatic church and they think Christians can be demon-possessed. Make it very clear, Christians cannot ever be demon-possessed. And yet the devil is used, even by God at times, to test our faith. And that's when the devil can oppress us. He can put bad thoughts in our mind. Uh, he, can, he can huff and puff and threaten to blow our spiritual houses down. But remember, his power is limited by God himself. And so uh, being possessed by demons is not something that we Christians have to worry about at all. So thank you, Ruben. I appreciate the question. And more than that, I just really appreciate knowing that you're going to be okay no matter the trial. Here is a question from Charlie. He says, what exactly is the mark of the beast? Charlie, nobody knows. The mark of the beast um, is, is Satan's counterfeit. Um, you know, God seals his own. Well, Satan seals his own as well. And the mark of the beast is going to be a symbol of some sort. Um, some say a chip or a mark on the back of the hand or in the forehead. Uh, honestly, we don't know other than it will be an identifying mark that everybody knows what they're doing. I mean, if they, if they take the mark of the beast, they'll know that they're rejecting Jesus Christ forever. There's no chance of coming back. This is going to happen in the Great Tribulation. But um, if we take the mark of the beast, then we're lost forever. But what it is physically, we don't know. A chip? Is it going to be a brand? Is it going to be? We don't know what it is, but there's going to be some way that uh, Satan is going to want to know who is his and, and who's not. That's why he's going to make it very difficult for people who, are not, who won't take the mark of the beast. He's going to make it difficult for them. You can't buy. You can't sell. Um, basically be outcast from the world that we live in. 
And um, that's just the way it's going to be. But nobody's going to take the mark of the beast without knowing that they're sealing their eternal fate once and for all. So, um, again, what it is, we don't know. Um, we just know that it's it's not going to be something that can't be taken unwittingly. People who take the mark, they're going to make the choice. They're going to know it's an eternal choice, and they will be condemned forever uh, throughout eternity if they take the mark of the beast. But we're not told exactly what it is, Charlie. So to, to speculate um, is, I think, a little bit irresponsible. Here's a question, and if I have this name wrong, it's because I misspelled it when I typed. I'm sorry. It's highly. Uh, it says H-I-L-E-Y on on um, our submission form. Uh, highly says in Luke, Jesus said that in the end, it would be like the days of Noah. People would be eating, drinking, marrying, etc. Why did he use those examples? Well, highly, what Jesus was doing was simply demonstrating that life goes on as normal. It's going to be like that to the end. You know, uh, up until the time God sealed Noah and his family in the ark, nobody believed there was going to be rain. Nobody believed there was going to be a flood. Uh, Nobody believed, of course, that the the end of the world was at hand. Uh, And so they just carried on the way they always did. Life goes on, and then he interrupts it with judgment. and, And Jesus is simply saying, that as it was in those days, it will be in the end. And this is the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus is telling people, um, you know, just because things look to be going okay, don't be surprised when judgment comes because I've promised you all along that judgment is going to come. So he's, he's not, the examples aren't so important other than they signify that life goes on uh, unaware. People just doing what they do. You know, one of the things highly that I always think about is just how quickly a life, uh, our lives can change. You know, in an instant, um, you know, we, we uh, two years ago, um, we one day everything was fine, and the next day uh, the world shut down because of COVID. Nobody expected it. Um, I've had people get in car accidents, have people die. Um, you know, and nobody was expecting it. And, and Jesus is simply saying that in the end, it's going to be just like that. And it's always been that way. The people are in denial. They just go on caring about life, or going on, uh, caring on with life. Um, and then judgment is at the corner. And we don't like to think about judgment, so we just sort of ignore it. That's what happened with Noah as he was faithful to warn them. Uh, but it's also what happened or what is going to happen in the end. And by the way, highly, the same thing happens even now. It happens now because um, we warn people all the time, I'm going to do it again tonight in my Bible study in Revelation chapter 17. Jesus is coming. We've got to be ready. And in most cases, it'll go in one ear and out the other. Not a big deal at all, just in one ear and out the other. So, hope so. Here's in another anonymous I had a pastor tell me cremation was pagan and only being buried was biblical. I always planned on being cremated. Should I change my mind? No. I had a question very similar to this a couple of weeks ago, Anonymous. Uh, I can't imagine a pastor telling you that. Um, but, um, you know, he has an opinion. He's just wrong. Um, being buried was not biblical. They were placed in tombs, hewn out tombs. So nobody went underground in the Old Testament. Sometimes bodies were just scattered in places like Potter's Field, where it was sort of a, a, a burial ground for the, the, the poor. And they would just be scattered among all of the, the other trash. So, no, um, I personally, Paula and I both, we are going to be... Uh, we've already decided we're going to be cremated. I can't imagine spending the kind of money they want for a funeral these days just to satisfy some silly superstition. And that's all it is. We're so superstitious about death, and we don't want to talk about it. Believe me, the mortuaries and funeral homes take advantage of that. are just going through the roof. And uh, I just think it's absurd. I used to tease with Paula... Um, only half teasing, 
you know, just just throw me in the backyard. Let the birds pick me apart. When we when we get rid of these bodies, we don't care what's going to happen to these bodies. It doesn't matter at all what happens to these old bodies when we die. We're dead. But you see, the real us has moved to a better neighborhood where we're going to be with Jesus where he is. So I think that's uh, it's unfortunate that you were told that. Uh, do what you want to do. Here's the last question for the day. Uh, Paul was caught up to paradise. Was this the same paradise from Luke 16 are they the same place? No, paradise in Luke 16 is in the middle of the, in the center of the earth, the abuso, um, in the abyss, um, deep in the earth, and the place called paradise there was a place of reward. Uh, when Paul says he was caught up to paradise, uh, that describes a, a, a vision, a trip he had to heaven, and it was, he just simply means I was, I was in the uh, dwelling place of God. Uh, I was caught up to the third heaven, he says. And yes, it would be paradise, everything he saw, but, but two completely different things. Paul was caught up, and and uh, the, the paradise in Luke chapter 16, or Abraham's bosom, uh, along with the place of torment, uh, that's in the center of the earth, so that's down. So those aren't the same place at all, not even close. So, Marky, thank you very much for the question. Well, remember, this weekend, uh, get to church. Ask God to show you somebody who needs to be loved on, somebody who needs to be prayed for, whatever you want to do. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great weekend. Find somebody, tell them how much Jesus loves them. And Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday on AM 630 Word. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.